0: All right, we are live. This is Tom Nelson here, and I am very honored today to have uh, Dr. Will Happer to talk about uh, climate change. And uh, do you want to kick things off by talking a little bit about yourself to get going?
1: Well, thanks, Tom. I'm a uh, physicist, and uh, I spent a long time at Princeton. I'm a Mm -hmm. professor emeritus here in the physics department. This is my physics department office we're talking from. Okay. My specialty was... uh, Atomic and nuclear physics, but I did a lot of work with lasers and spent especially in the atmosphere. so I knew a lot about lasers before I ever paid any and about the climate and about the atmosphere before I paid any attention to uh, <laughs> to climate science, okay, or to global right. warming. And I guess i I got interested in it because one of my jobs in the early Nineties was I was director of energy research at Department of Energy, and I had all the non-weapons uh, research, which included climate and, uh, but it was also high energy physics or material science. We even had a lot of work on the human genome. So it was okay. Yeah. Climate was a small yeah. part of yeah. it, but it was already clear then that it was not like any of the other parts of research that we were supporting Mm -hmm. because uh, even in 1991-92 it was heavily politicized and uh, at the time they were pushing for the Ozone Treaty in Montreal which is sort of a pre-runner of the Paris Mm -hmm. Accord. So they were just practicing and sharpening their claws and uh, they didn't want anyone getting in the way with uh, inconvenient Mm -hmm. questions about, Mm -hmm. you know, how good are the scientific facts behind this uh, step we're taking, because there will be some costs. The costs weren't terribly significant for that. You know, it meant that many American companies made a lot more money, you know, because they could put patented uh, refrigerants Mm -hmm. on the market and uh, Mm -hmm. force people Mm -hmm. to buy them. Mm And uh, that's happening again now with the Kigali Amendment, you know, yes. to get rid of refrigerants. And so yet more companies will make a lot of money, you know, at the expense of everybody else.
0: <laughs> yikes. Yikes. OK.
1: So. So anyway, I uh, I'm digressing. That's OK. My, my time at <laughs> DOE uh, alerted me that uh, there was something funny about climate and environmental uh, studies in, in many cases. that they, they weren't normal science. So I was quite vocal about that. I said, I don't know why you should have different standards in high energy mm-hmm. physics or uh, fusion. Or, <laughs> everybody else is supposed to uh, be fairly rigorous in, in what they right. claim and uh, be open to questions, which they were not. And so, of course, when... Uh, the presidential election came. I I was a political appointment, so uh, Al Gore uh, took a while to find me, but he did and insisted I be fired. (laughs) I remember uh, Hazel O'Leary, who was the uh, Secretary of Energy, Mm -hmm. a very elegant uh, black woman from uh, Tidewater, Virginia, with whom I got along real well. I, I uh, we were both from the South, and uh, for some reason we liked each other. But uh, she called me into my her office one day and said, "Well, uh, Will, what have you done to Al Gore?" I said, "I haven't done anything to Al Gore. All of insist on scientific standards." And she says, "Well, I got the message from the White House. I have to fire you." And but you know we really. Like oh, what you're doing, uh-huh. say I, I can make you a civil servant, you know, and uh, instead of a political appointment, I can oh, okay. uh, make that happen. I said, "Well, thanks, Hazel. You know, I I came down here really as a duty, not because I was looking for a job. I mm-hmm. hoping I can go back to Princeton and uh, uh, I'll call them. And of course, they offered me a job back. I had okay. to resign when I went to Washington. You know, I was a tenured professor, and I wasn't." Guaranteed to get a job back okay. again, but I did. Okay. So that that was uh, my introduction to climate. And then, since I already knew a lot about the atmosphere and radiation transfer, I was uh, amused by the incompetence of the.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: You know, many people in in the climate area. You know, they really didn't understand what they were doing very well. Okay. Right. And uh, there were things that I. I knew a lot more than they did. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, this has become sort of my avocation in retirement. I hope I live long enough to see Mm -hmm. some progress made. It's been a hard slog because the uh, opposition is so powerful and so many people benefit and Mm -hmm. uh, are prospering from climate alarmism that it's, it's very hard to stop. Okay. All right.
0: So it's often said that uh, the reason that uh, us deniers don't believe in the whole climate alarmism is because we don't understand basic physics. Now, would you say that's your problem that you don't understand basic uh, physics, or it's probably I not? I don't.
1: Right? No, I, I don't think so. Look, uh, yeah. I, I understand <laughs> physics of radiation transfer better than yeah. most people in the world. Okay, yeah, I think that's safe. <laughs> no, there for, might oh. be a, there are a few that I would regard my peers, but none okay. of them in the climate yeah. area. <laughs>
0: okay, very interesting. Well, what do you think that the insiders believe? That's that's a question I had up here. Do you think a lot of the climate science insiders actually believe that the Earth is overheating or too hot right now? I'm curious your perspective on that.
1: It's hard for me to tell uh, the, you know, the the young people have been brainwashed, you know, and so you you have to cut them a little slack because all they've ever heard is is this nonsense. And uh, so I think some of the younger people sort of believe it. And uh, they're very proud to be climate scientists. You know, everyone yes. tells them they're saving the planet. You know, and right. you know they go home for Thanksgiving dinner, and all of their relatives uh, <laughs> say nice things about their <laughs> right. about what they're doing. Uh, as they get older, I think uh, many of them are uh, having second thoughts, but they keep it okay. to themselves because it's professional death to express any doubt about mm-hmm. the party line. Yeah. Um, um, do, you, do you think
0: a lot of them went into climate science uh, because they were full on believers already? I get that sense that some of the young climate scientists uh, were all in on alarmism before they even started to study in college. I don't know if that's yeah, true. Yeah, I, yeah. I would
1: say that that's yeah. certainly true of the people who are worried about uh, uh how to respond? You know, they tend to be not hard yeah. scientists. You know, they really mm-hmm. prefer to be sociologists, but they have yeah. to learn a little bit of science. Mm-hmm. And, okay. But you know, they they worry about uh, all the terrible things that you know global warming is already doing. You, they tell you right. you can just look outside and see how terrible okay. things are. You right. know, I look outside. I've been looking outside for eighty <laughs> yeah. years. I really don't see very much difference <laughs> from right. eighty years ago. Uh, But they think they do. And, uh, you know, so there's a thunderstorm and a tree falls down and they say, you see, didn't I tell you there's this climate change uh, emergency Mm -hmm. coming on? Well, you know, trees have been falling down for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I I, I feel sorry for them in many ways. Mm -hmm. I think in hard sciences, it's much harder to recruit the best students because uh, Really good students can sense where there are uh, really exciting and challenging uh, problems to work on. And certainly, climate is not one of them. That, that's my impression looking around at Princeton that the, the uh, best students, you know, they'd rather be looking for dark matter, you know, or, yeah. you know, some fancy cure for cancer, uh, something where there is. Uh, a real problem there, you know, it's important and, and there's yeah. no bullshit, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay.
0: But but how about figuring out how uh, Earth's climate actually works? I don't know, are there pockets of people that are actually trying to figure out what is causing the climate to change and they're not uh, jumping to blame mankind for everything? I'm curious if like, I know Willie Soon is a guy that yeah. one example, I think that's looking at it. I don't know if there's a lot, lot of people.
1: Well, but yeah. Willie's convinced that uh, yeah. the sun is the main mm-hmm. driver. And, yeah. He may be right, you know, yeah. that, mm-hmm. You know, it'll be a while before we know for sure, Yeah. but uh, the idea that there was a single control knob, yes. about, mm-hmm. you know, CO2 concentrations that has determined Earth's climate, that's become a matter of religion, you know, and uh, people go back and they rewrite, you know, encyclopedia art- articles, you know, look, look at an article about climate, you know, from yeah. Encyclopedia Britannica, which is pretty good, you know, 20, yeah, yeah. 30 years ago. It's not anything okay. like what it is today, you know. Mm-hmm. The worst of okay. all is Wikipedia, you know, which is completely yes. taken over by yes. fanatics. Uh-huh. And okay. uh, so it's a, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, the hero of 1984, what was his name? Winston Smith or something, but his job okay. was to rewrite history. And so that's okay. what's going yeah. on in scientific history now, you know, we everything has to conform to the idea that this demon molecule, CO2, right. you know, is, is about to destroy the earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the craziest thing I, I ever heard because, uh-huh. you know, if you know anything about geological history, you realize CO2 levels have always fluctuated up and down by huge amounts. And mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is trivial compared to what we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And even day to day, you know, I, have a little co2 meter and just out of curiosity one week last summer i monitored co2 levels in my backyard for okay. a week <laughs> okay you know, i got up at, you know three or four in the morning so i could get really an hour late uh, nice and, okay uh, you know on a calm day you know in my backyard the co2 levels by two or three in the afternoon about this time were uh typically down to 300 parts per million. Really, okay. And uh, you know, by dawn the next day, again, if it was the home day with not much wind to stir things up, mm-hmm. by dawn the next day, it was 500, you know? And so really? it by 200 parts per million, you know, between two o'clock and, and six o'clock. <laughs> okay. of course that's right. because of during the daytime there, I have a lot of maple trees. and It's a nice green city at Princeton. So everything's okay. sucking CO2 out of the air during the day, and if you don't have much wind, it depletes CO2 near ground level.
0: Okay. And then yeah.
1: uh, when the sun goes down, the respiration continues of everything, soil, microorganism, trees, you know, animals, and yeah. so CO2 levels steadily go up. There's no photosynthesis at night. And okay. So you get these huge swings, you know, 200 parts per million, just over 24 hours. Okay. And, um, <laughs> It's easy, you can do that yourself. You don't have to get a scientist to do that for you.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's very interesting to me because I think you have another quote in the past about uh, CO2 levels in a growing cornfield. When it's growing in the morning that it might be 400 uh, parts per million at the start of the morning and it might be down to 200 as the corn is sucking in all the, uh, the CO2 that it can. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, it varies with, uh, yeah. location and, and with seasons of the year, it doesn't fluctuate much in the winter because there's not much photosynthesis. Okay. But, uh, it's, um, it's very, no, it's, this is well known to the uh, agricultural community, you know, who've okay. been measuring CO2 in cornfields and things like that for okay. 50 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you put a monitor in a cornfield, uh, just like my backyard, you know, by the middle of yeah. the day, it's uh, down okay. to 200, 300 parts per million. And okay. You know, the next dawn, it's it's up again. So this is a completely well-known phenomenon. I didn't discover it. I just wanted to <laughs> okay. see whether it worked in my backyard. Okay. It depends very much on wind, okay. you know, because... Um, if, you're, if it's a windy day, then this uh, ground level air gets mixed up with air that's at 100 meters, 200 meters, which has not been affected by photosynthesis or respiration. Okay. So it's closer yes. to the sort of average 400 parts per million, 410, whatever it is now. Okay. That's in the upper atmosphere, okay. where it's well mixed. But the ground level is not well mixed at all. It's not even close to being well mixed most of the time. Okay. you get get huge variations.
0: So this brings up all sorts of questions to me. Like we have this story that CO2 was pegged at 280 parts per million for many thousands of years before we started to burn coal. Uh, Do you believe that or was it uh, fluctuating before
1: that? Uh, Well, you know, that's a very controversial topic. You know, my, uh, I tend to believe uh, the uh, bubbles uh, in the ice. Okay. You go to antarctic and you, you core the ice and you can tell when the ice was formed and yeah you look at the gas in the bubbles and measure co2 uh-huh. and that does show huge fluctuations over hundreds of thousands of years you know co2 levels mm-hmm. go uh, way down uh, during glacial periods when it's cold and they come up again during interglacials like our period yeah. now okay but over the last uh, 10,000 years, say, uh, at least the Antarctic records, and to some extent, Greenland also, don't show very much fluctuations. It's been around okay. 280, 290 in okay. the bubbles. There are people who say, well, there, there's a problem with that. There's something wrong. And you know, I'm an experimentalist myself, so I listen carefully, but yeah. so far I've not heard what the problem is that oh let <laughs> me disbelieve it
0: <laughs> just me as a layman I, i'm wondering if that bubble has exactly the same chemical composition now as it did 800,000 years ago well that, that's part of that? the yeah.
1: objections raised yeah. but you know you, you sort of know what the uh diffusion coefficients of co2 okay. are yeah. in the ice and uh, they're very slow okay and uh it does seem to work over these long periods of time, you know, 100,000 years, you see these huge fluctuations okay. of CO2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the way, they, they always follow uh, fluctuations in temperature, you know, temperature goes up, you know, a few centuries later, CO2 goes up, you yeah. Know, yeah. temperature goes down, the same thing, it takes a while for CO2 to respond. So it's clear that although it's correlated with temperature, the thing that is the cause is the temperature, not the CO2. Yes,
0: okay, All uh, right.
1: Gore used to say, that this. you see this? This proves yeah, yeah. That CO2 <laughs> is driving the temperature. In fact, it proved okay. just the opposite proves uh, temperature is okay. driving yeah. the CO2. Ah, very
0: interesting. So there's also these chemical measurements from maybe the 1800s, where uh, they used some chemical methods to measure CO2, and they had numbers maybe 450 or above. And, yeah, but they yeah, threw well, those out because they were I, way I, more I, than two. I, I,
1: yeah. I, my own guess is it's this, Phenomenon I told you yes. about my backyard, okay. where you uh, okay. also see these huge fluctuations. Yeah. But I don't know. You know, I. Uh, it's interesting that if you look at the measurements, they, the ones that are close to the uh, canonical 280 yeah. are out in away from civilization. For example, over the Baltic Sea. Okay. They typically right. would measure something close to uh, 280. But it, if you're okay. in a populated area, they got all sorts of measurements. And and by the way, the, you know, this is outdoors. If you're indoors, a typical yeah. Princeton classroom, yeah, you know, the CO2 levels are 1500 parts per million. Okay. <laughs> you know, they're just enormous. Yeah. Interesting. You know, so if it was in a laboratory, you, God knows what they would have measured. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've never thought it was very important I, because I think CO2 benefits the world. Yes. So, okay. As far as I'm concerned, the more the better.
0: <laughs> Interesting.
1: Uh, do you trust the Mauna
0: Loa measurements, or are they throwing out the numbers that are too high or too low? Or I'm just curious. Uh, isn't it a homogenized number that they're giving us? They're not giving us raw measurements, are they? That they're taking every day at Mauna Loa.
1: Homogenized number for yeah. uh, for CO
0: two for CO two at Mauna Loa and the Keeling curve or whatever. When they give us that number every day for. Well, I, I, yeah.
1: I I've looked at the raw data. Yeah. And. Uh, I think they're doing a pretty okay. careful job. The site is good because it's uh, above the tropical inversion layer, so you're, okay. you're getting pretty well mixed uh, CO2 from quite high up. Okay. There's a second observatory at lower altitudes where they have a lot more problems with just the, oh, uh, okay. the mentioned where it fluctuates yeah. a lot from day to day. Okay. But the, right. the high altitude one is, is particularly good. And it's on a volcano, right? It's a shield volcano. So every now and then they get a a cloud of CO2 from the volcano. And that stands out like a sore thumb. So they try to watch that carefully and make sure what they're seeing is from the atmosphere and not from the the local uh, perturbations. Okay. All right. I I think they're doing a pretty good job. I mean, I knew Keeling a little bit. You know, he was at Scripps and... uh, he was a very honest guy, you know. Okay. And, uh He had a hard time because nobody would support his work, you know. Oh, they, okay. They'd say, "Didn't you measure CO2 last year? Isn't that good enough?" And they said, well, <laughs> the whole point is, you know, to get <laughs> okay. a record." And, okay. But that's the well, that was the argument in Washington. They they kept cutting off his funding, and All so right. the only thing that kept him going was the director at Scripps was uh, Bill Nirenberg. Okay. And year after year, Bill would. um Come to the rescue and provide directors' funds to keep that Keeling uh, work going. Okay. And Bill is vilified, you know, as a, you know, a, a demon planet destroyer, you know, by uh, you uh, know the uh, likes of Areskus, you know, all these horrible people out there. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> but he he I'm did sorry. a lot, you know, um, for for that CO2 record. We owe we owe much of that to Bill as well as to Keeling. Uh, okay.
0: Is he vilified for not being a believer? I don't I don't know why he's vilified. A,
1: well, because yeah, he was quite yeah. skeptical that oh, there he was, was any problem with CO2. You know. Okay.
0: All right. Interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, what do you think is the optimum level of CO2 uh, for life on Earth? Uh,
1: well, I think it's probably around 1,500, yeah. 2,000. Uh, okay. you know, greenhouses... Uh, Typically have at least uh, a thousand parts per million, and uh, okay. if they can afford it, they put in fifteen hundred. You have to yeah. pay for it, you know; it's yeah. not cheap. Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> so it's a typical economic trade-off. And okay. So you, 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 as the owner of the greenhouse, you try to decide: okay, this makes my roses worth this much more, but yeah. it costs me this much. So yes. you okay. do that type of calculation.
0: Okay. All right. So you agree with Patrick Moore's idea that CO2 levels were going down for a long time before humans started burning fossil fuel. And by us uh, doing well, that, you you can yeah. see that pretty clearly yeah.
1: from yeah. the studies of paleo CO2. Yeah. I mean, like anything that involved proxies, uh, there are uncertainties, but you know, there are a lot of uh, different proxies that give pretty much the same answer that CO2 levels have been steadily decreasing for the last right. Yeah. 80 million years or so. Yeah. For I don't know really what's causing it, but yeah, I think the data is pretty clear. Yeah. Some of them are easy to understand. For example, you can look at uh, stomata in yes. leaves and mm-hmm. fossil leaves. And yeah. uh, when a leaf grows in air that has more CO2, it doesn't grow as many holes. And so the, by counting holes, you can get some idea. Mm-hmm. Another thing you can do is you can look at um, uh, paleo soils, you know, this is fossil soil, Okay. where CO2 is being, uh, back at the time the soil was made, CO2 was being generated by metabolism, just like my backyard, and uh, mm-hmm. and it was also being fixed, and CO2 that's been fixed uh, in photosynthesis is has a lot less carbon-13 in it, so oh, by measuring okay. the carbon-13 to carbon-12 ratio and, and trying to model how atmospheric CO2 would diffuse down and, you know, photosynthetic stuff would diffuse off. You can estimate what the atmospheric levels were. So I would say that paleosol is, is probably the workhorse uh, okay. uh, thing. But, but there are enough different ones and they're an, in enough agreement that I think it's absolutely clear that the CO2 levels in the past have been much higher than now. Okay,
0: all right. Uh, do you give humans uh, the credit for raising the CO two level from two eighty to four twenty? Is that pretty much all us, or are there other factors you think?
1: Well, that's the simplest uh, uh, assumption. Many people yeah. don't agree. Many people think it's independent yeah. of humans. But my problem yeah. with that is if I look at the ice core records, it yeah. hasn't happened for many thousands of years. Okay. And right. now, here, all of a sudden, we're putting in. Twice as much every year yeah. as is needed to explain yeah. the growth. So the the problem has always been where does the extra CO two go? <laughs> you know. Not, okay. All right. Know, why isn't there enough to make the you know there's too much going in to to yeah. be consistent with so, what we observe. I-, I wanted to get
0: your idea about this. Thomas Galstead had this idea that CO two goes into the ocean and then it uh, becomes calcium carbonate and falls to the bottom of the ocean.
1: Uh, I was, well, I was gonna, mo- yeah. most of the, I don't know the exact figure, but there's yeah. roughly fifty times as much CO two equivalent in the ocean as in the atmosphere. Okay. And what? And the reason for that is that the ocean is um, extremely alkaline. You know, okay. you can think of the ocean as sort of a weak solution of draino. You know, for clearing your okay <laughs> sink clog. Right. It's, okay. it's like Sodium, <laughs> sodium hydroxide, or, or, a burnt lime. You know. Okay. Anyway, it's got a lot of OH uh, minus in it. And so it, it converts the CO2 that comes into it into bicarbonate and carbonate ions. And so okay. that pulls in CO2 from the atmosphere okay. and makes the yeah. ocean really supercharged with CO2. And in fact, thank God for that, because if it weren't for the CO2, the ocean would be like Drano. It would, it's Oh. pH would be around 13 or 14. I've forgotten the exact figure. Oh, okay. But very much about the same as household ammonia. And most true. things can't live in, in something that is caustic as that. Okay. Be like Mono Lake. You say. Okay. Uh,
0: <laughs> okay. So, this whole idea that our CO2 emissions are making the uh, oceans uh, uninhabitable for shelled shellfish, et cetera, there's nothing to that, right? There... No, of course. Yeah. It's nonsense. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think yeah. they say ocean acidification is like the evil twin of global warming. I think I've heard that phrase. That's
1: well, <laughs> yeah. you know, they they were in desperate uh, straits a few years ago. We had this sort of ten-year hiatus, and so, yes. you know, if we can't oh, yeah. scare people with warming, we need something else, and so acidification uh-huh. was the next best thing. Okay. But you know, the ocean pH uh, fluctuates a lot from night and day, just like my backyard. You know, so okay. That's for the same reason, because during the day you get photosynthesis. And so, you know, the microorganisms uh, suck CO2 out of the water. And so since CO2 is acidic, the water gets more and more alkaline as the day goes on. So in the morning, the pH might be 7.9. By the afternoon, it's 8.2, you know. Okay. All right. (laughs) Again, it's just like the backyard experiment. Yeah. And do I have... does that day after day okay. after day? It it's okay. Well known. <laughs> okay.
0: And do I have this right that the ocean would have to become way more acidic to be as acidic as pure water because pure water has a seven
1: pH, right? Yeah. So that's water, one way to think of it. Pure water in in the atmosphere, as I recall, it's about five point six. Five point six. Okay. Five point six. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah yeah, it's it's not possible really with yeah. the amount of CO two that you could burn to get the ocean. Yeah. You can't even get it below seven, you know, yeah. you never get to five points. The problem is, is is this enormous alkalinity, the natural alkalinity of the ocean, which few people understand, but yeah. Uh, okay, but it's uh, I've, I've forgotten the molarity to 2.3 or something, but it's very, very, very alkaline. Okay. I did not know that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So to finish, you you, you should bone up on it. It'll reassure you about the ocean. I will. I I got to do that. (laughs) I definitely
0: have to do that. Um, Just to finish off the thought about Patrick Moore, though, that he was saying that CO two levels were falling for a long, long time, and humanity may have uh, saved life on Earth because uh, if it got too low, plants couldn't have grown, and and because we put more out there. Do you think there's some validity to that idea? Oh yeah, and in
1: fact, you know, during the last glacial maximum, there's a fair amount of evidence. that plants were dying from uh, not enough c o two. you know, they're quite respectable papers that have presented evidence for that. okay it's it's a particularly difficult problem at high altitude. So you know, the high plains in North America, mm-hmm. uh, you know high plains in Asia, you know, you're up six thousand seven thousand feet, and there is already kind of thin. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you take CO2 out of it. Yes. So it's a double whammy for plants. There's not as much CO2 to suck out of the air. Yeah. And uh, then you're losing water like crazy too, you know. So the combination of water loss and not enough CO2 uh, seems to have uh, caused many plants to die off at high altitudes.
0: Yeah. So you did mention, I think, on the other podcast I was listening to that, the additional CO2 makes plants more efficient at handling water, right? And on the that's edges right. of deserts, they do better with more CO2
1: and right. advantage. You, you can already yeah. see desert shrinking, you know, that's very clear. Yeah. Right,
0: okay. And we're supposed to think they're expanding, but- You're supposed CO2, to think we're they're supposed expanding, but if
1: you actually look at the data, it's the okay. other, you know, they didn't okay. get the sign right. Okay,
0: okay. and there is significant, uh, an increase in global leaf area, right? Uh, because of the additional CO2 probably? Yeah. Am I right? Okay. And what do you think is the addition in uh, global uh, crop yields at uh, 420 versus 280? I've heard numbers like maybe 20
1: or 25% are uh, crop well, yields are doing just, better. Yeah. There was a recent paper by, uh, I've forgotten the author, Taylor and I've forgotten the author, Sedler or something like that. But uh, they, they are, and I've forgotten the exact numbers, but they are saying of the order of 40% of the increase in wheat yield, you wow. know, the last fifty years has been due to more CO two. It's quite a serious paper. Really? Wow. Okay. I, I can. Yeah. Send you the reference. Yeah, if okay. Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll have to Google that. Very interesting. Yeah. Have we covered CO two? Do we miss anything important about CO2 <laughs> well, uh, know, yeah. CO two itself? Well, you know,
1: CO two people should be grateful for. You know, it's a molecule of life. You know, thank God for CO two in in many many ways, and uh, it's completely harmless and. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So the whole idea of a uh, carbon credits, carbon trading, that's all bonkers. Now, did you happen to see that there was a peer reviewed paper that came out saying they wanted to have something like 200,000 teams of people cutting down trees and burying them full time? That's what they were going to do because the trees have carbon in them. And that's one way to sequester carbon into the ground. I think that was one of the most crazy things I've seen as a global warming
1: solution. I didn't see it, but Uh, uh, I'm not surprised. (laughs) There's a lot of crazy things being proposed here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or just the carbon capture and storage. I don't know if, uh, what is the motivation for that? Some people say the uh, big oil companies want to do that because they can use that carbon dioxide to get more oil out of the ground. I just saw an article about that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that one.
1: Well, you know, for a tertiary oil recovery from, you know, the best place to find oil is where you've already found it. Yeah. And usually there's quite a lot of oil left in a field when it's no longer economical with the technology you've got. Yeah. but You can invent new technology to get that out a little bit like fracking. Okay. uh, Yeah. And one of the things they do use is CO2. So CO2 uh, loosens up the oil and allows you to flush it out and get more to the surface. Okay. All right. Well, that is a well-developed technology. It really works. And, uh, uh, there used to be pipelines going into the uh, oil-producing areas in Texas and New Mexico that carried CO two for oh, okay. enhanced oil recovery. Okay, So that makes perfect sense. But uh, you know that it, you, you're using it for a purpose, not because you're yeah. trying to get rid of it. <laughs> right. You're perfectly happy if it comes bubbling back up at the surface again. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Uh, Let's see. One thing I have not asked is, what is your best estimate for the uh, climate sensitivity? If we double CO2 from here, how much warming do you think that we should get, roughly?
1: I I think it's probably around one degree, maybe a bit less than one degree. Okay. And uh, I won't bore you with going into all the details, but Mm -hmm. that's sort of the first order estimate you would make. And... uh, you know, it's surprising in, in science how often a first-order estimate it turns out to be the best, yes. you know, yes. when you start uh-huh. improving on it. <laughs> okay. You know, okay. for some reason, it often gets worse. And uh, that may not be entirely a, a mistake because, um, you know, there there's something called an asymptotic series. Uh, you, you've you got a science background. You yeah, probably yeah. Know about I- you yeah, know, I think power I series yep. where you, mm-hmm. you take a first order term and then you add a, a, a second order correction and a third order correction.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Well, asymptotic series are, are things where they do actually get better if you add correction, but only up to a certain order. So oh, you might yeah. be able to get a better answer up to the third or the fourth okay. order. Yeah. Then the fifth order is much worse. And the oh. sixth order is <laughs> even worse. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and there are a lot of asymptotic series where only the yeah. first order is the uh, best. You know, okay. You second order, it's already worse. Okay. That was true of quantum electrodynamics, for example, in, in physics. Uh, it, okay. It was uh, right. like an asymptotic series. So people got reasonable answers for the first mm-hmm. order, but second order which ought yeah. to work, didn't work. You know, it gave infinite answers, you know, that was clearly okay. wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Not> infinite. <laughs> All right. And so that was what really led to quantum electrodynamics and the, the heroes there were Dick Feynman and uh, oh, okay. Julian Schwinger, but they were the ones who solved this problem that you had this diverging series. And so in okay. climate now, we have this diverging series, but it never occurs to people that, you know, we've seen this before, you oh, know, yeah. and, and maybe you ought to rethink. Okay.
0: <laughs> Uh, do you happen to know if Feynman himself ever looked into the climate change thing or the CO two? Many people have yeah, asked. Me. Yeah, I don't uh-huh.
1: know. You know, I I, uh, I didn't know. I was not close to him. My my friend Freeman Dyson was uh, very close to him and okay. uh, really admired him. And of course, Freeman was very very skeptical about. Yes, Obama. yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I would I would imagine that Feynman would have been his usual skeptical self. You know, he questioned everything. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do as a good scientist. Yes, absolutely. Especially your own work, you should question. You know. Yes, and he's very insistent that you know if you have nice theories, uh, the real criterion for the theory is how well does it agree with observation and experiment. Yeah, yeah. His quotes are great. uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And certainly the climate community has not done that. You know, they they don't agree with observation and experiment, and so what they do is they go and change the previous observation <laughs> right <laughs> yeah winston yeah. smith from yeah. 1984 again right yeah yeah, yeah. changing the past uh,
0: so are you following the work at all of tony heller when he's actually looking at in great detail you know
1: i'm busy so i don't yeah yeah look at everything he does but yeah uh, i think he's making some very good points and uh, i think he is yeah yeah
0: all right. Um, I was going to ask you also uh, if we burned all of the known fossil fuel reserves, any idea how much uh, global warming? If we were really trying to uh, emit as much CO two as we could, how much warmer could we make the Earth?
1: Well, we're. Um, it's hard to know how much fossil fuels right. are yeah. economically available. Yes, it's a lot more than we <laughs> used to think. Yes. Yeah. But. Um, I don't think there's enough to get to 1600, which I think would be yes. would, would be quadrupling, which I think would be about right, you know, for yes. maximum yeah. greenness of the earth, yeah, and very little change in climate. Yeah, people mm-hmm. really don't realize how uh, ineffective greenhouse gases, especially CO2, uh, how ineffective it is. Yes, so, for example, if you if you double CO two from present value, which is a little more than four hundred to eight hundred, yeah, 800, yeah. Uh, that only changes the radiation to space by one percent. Yes, so okay. it's a tiny amount, yeah. and uh, you, you know, as from your background in science, that you know things radiate as the fourth power of the temperature. You know, to again, to yeah. zeroth yeah. order, mm-hmm. first order. Mm-hmm. And so that means uh, that the temperature only has to change by a quarter of a percent.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, to deal with a one percent change yes. in flux, because you know the flux changes so rapidly. Yeah. Yes. The temperature of the fourth power. Yes. Uh, so if you use that type of argument, you would say that well, doubling CO two, which is about the maximum you can get out of fossil fuels, I think, uh, would give about one degree warming, which would be no problem. Most of that would be in, you know, high latitudes, closer to the poles. It would be hardly changed in in the tropics and uh, a little bit warm in temperate zones, but there's absolutely everything about it is good, you know, not bad. Okay,
0: Okay. (laughs) and constantly we're hearing about their, oh no, we're going to hit the tipping point, but they're not real, are they? I I don't know of any evidence. no,
1: No, no geological evidence that there's ever been a tipping point.
0: Yeah. I that's as a layman again. I think there there can't be because the Earth has been way warmer and we never hit a point where we became an right, right. un- uninhabitable fireball. So
1: well, that's right. Yeah. It, it's yeah. sort of the anthropomorphic principle uh, in, in disguise. You know, if there really were t- tipping points, since the Earth isn't very stable, we would have passed them long ago yeah. and become extinct. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. All right. So it, it's pretty clear yeah. they're not there. Okay, all right, but the gullible you know they're they're always gullible people who will buy this stuff, and um <laughs> so what do you think is happening with like I don't know, the Royal
0: Academy or all these different organizations that put out a warmest statement it, just, it seems to me like a small group of them have been captured somehow, but if you actually you were know, to they, survey all they've been, all of
1: they've them, been yeah. hijacked by uh, yeah uh, by fanatics, and uh i i uh. I'm not quite sure how this happens. Well, one thing is they tend to get uh, taken over by people have stopped uh, who've stopped doing creative science, you know, yeah, yeah, so if you were a Wonder Kent and uh, are, are having trouble being a a, a Wunder adult, you know, because <laughs> you can't think of anything very creative to do, you can always become president of a uh, learned society. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) And uh, then Mm -hmm. you can pontificate and uh, people will listen in awe. And uh, so (laughs) So that's part of the problem is that... uh, you, you don't get the best people. You know, Dick Feynman would never yeah. have been president of the uh, Interesting. of the okay. uh, National Academy yeah. of Sciences. He would have quit and discussed
0: after the first week. <laughs> Interesting. So what I'm never seeing on any of these statements is where they, they uh, surveyed the rank and file, everybody, and said, uh, do you believe there's a climate crisis right now? I'd love to see that. You know, take any professional society you want and uh, survey 10,000 people. Well, they're, they're yeah. afraid, they're afraid
1: uh, to do that because right. they know yeah. they will get... Uh, a very substantial number of returns of people say i don't believe this nonsense right yeah they know that yeah. perfectly well and so mm-hmm. they they have done surveys and they know that's the answer they get they do so okay but they, they don't release them so they keep them secret okay do
0: you think there is room for maybe some third party people to try to do that on the side somehow and publish the results i'd love to see those results somehow i think the well, public it's should an know in- and-
1: interesting question i i uh, i don't know whether people would pay attention to a Third party, but anyway, look, yeah. it does touch on the important thing: is that you, you don't uh, you don't define good science, you know, true science by uh, voting. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so even <laughs> you know, even if a hundred percent believe that yes. it's nonsense or a hundred percent believes it's true, it doesn't doesn't matter. It's not relevant. It, it, the question is, how well do theory and experiment match yes. up? Uh, yeah, it's you know this famous uh, 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 hundred authors against Einstein. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. was written in the nineteen early nineteen thirties when the Nazis were coming to power, and uh, so Einstein's views on relativity were very unpopular among some in Germany. Although he was German himself, and uh, many supported him, Max Planck was a strong supporter. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, they put together this. Crazy book, you know, article after article about why relativity was wrong. It was mostly focused on special relativity, but okay. I think there were a few on general relativity. But the, when Einstein was informed about this, he says, well, I don't, why do they need a hundred? One good paper pointing out a flaw is all they need. <laughs> That's
0: great. I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, uh, so that's the way science is supposed to be, that, you know, there are, there really is an objective truth out there. It's not the term, you don't vote on the law of gravity, you know, it's something that you observe. Right, you know. right. Whoever okay. made the law yeah. of gravity, it wasn't the U.S. Congress. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do
0: you see this playing out? Like, how much longer can this insanity last inside this, even inside the scientific world and the group think? Do you think it has to break down, doesn't it, at some point? In the near future,
1: or can this hang out for another decade? Well, I, I think uh, yeah. uh, the most hopeful thing, and uh, I say this with some uh, sadness, is that uh, it, it looks like that maybe the chickens are coming home to roost in Western Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, they're facing yeah. serious energy problems because of the uh, uh, climate fanaticism that's run the, the show there for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, if they have a particularly bad winter, and if things go badly in Ukraine, uh, there could be uh, very serious uh, consequences. There could be social unrest. You know, people might yes. be held account. They should be held account. They should be what yep, yep. they've done, mm-hmm. ok. so I, I think the thing that is going to end this will be uh, some disastrous uh, consequence that. It's no, there's no longer any question that these guys are crazy. It it sort yeah. of half happened in Sri Lanka, you know. Where yes. Yeah. Sri Lanka was uh, governed by several years by uh, truly woke politicians, and okay. uh, <laughs> they went all to organic farming, and uh, nice. you know, uh, and of course, yeah, people started starving to death, right? And right, yeah, yeah, massive famines, and uh, so. Uh, what's needed is something like Sri Lanka, but on a larger scale Mm and some large political unit, Germany, United Kingdom, California, maybe. California, yeah. On that path, yeah. I
0: I mean, what do you think is gonna happen in California with this whole idea, we're gonna get rid of all the gas powered cars and try to uh, charge everything, uh, use electric cars instead, even though they can't charge their current electric cars? some sometimes, I don't know. Well, uh, you know,
1: I I think it will, collapse. uh, I don't know how long it will take. Yeah. You know, the the thing that makes it convenient for the present politicians is it's something that's going to happen long after they're out of office and hopefully drawing a fat retirement. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think when that happens, these people should be put on trial, you know, and their retirement. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's all fun and games for now. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about just uh there's all of this propaganda about the weather's getting worse and the, if uh, we get another degree of warming the weather's going to get terrible uh have you looked at that in great detail i don't believe a single bit of that but do you have any feedback oh, on that co- of course it's, yeah.
1: c- it's complete yeah. nonsense you yeah. know mm-hmm. the, there's not a single measure of weather that shows anything alarming uh, right. you know my friend Stephen coonan wrote this nice book on um Unsettled, unsettled, I think is yes, the title, yes, yep. but it was focused on what's really happening to the weather, and so there are chapters there about hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, droughts, yes. and yeah. uh, it's very well documented, and nothing's happening, you know. If anything, it, it's getting a little better in many places. And uh, Okay, all right. Good. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Uh, yeah, are you...
0: Are you a fan of Alex Epstein's work by any chance uh, about fossil yes, fuels? Yes, yes, yeah. I, I, I yeah. think
1: the more people stand up and make the case that this is immoral, which is, is yes. a part of his message, uh, the better. Yeah. Okay.
0: Do you have uh, advice for us skeptics as to just what arguments you think
1: are the best ones to use? Well, I I, yeah. I, I think it it's very hard because you yeah. you know you're surrounded by. Uh, uh, religious fanatics, you yeah. know, and many of them are your own family, you know, and people uh-huh. you don't want to offend. And, right. uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they're basically decent people, but they've been badly misled, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like questioning someone's religion. Yeah, yeah. It's their religion, you yes. know. Yes, all. it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, I, I don't think there's a silver bullet argument that will uh, uh, work for everyone. You know, and right. uh, yeah. in fact, many people th- those that who, who are convinced for religious reasons that you can't change their mind, they they just will not change yes. their mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and there are not many people in the middle uh, who whose minds can be changed. Most have already taken a stand one side or the other. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the uh, the most effective thing we we already talked about is disastrous consequences of yes. the policies yep. uh, to mm-hmm. address this made-up threat, you know, this threat that doesn't exist, and, but many people don't realize how how uh, corrupt th- this fundamentally is, you know, utilities, you know, are the, they love global warming, they love renewables, because they can jack up the prices, yes. so yeah. they become very, very profitable, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a fully depreciated coal plant that's reliably supplying your customer base and uh, not providing you a very good return you know oh you you okay. can get rid of that you know and, and put in windmills and then you you can charge much more and okay. uh, so the profit line goes way way up so there's this perverse incentive you know to get rid of uh, dispatchable power you know reliable power uh, okay uh, to help the bottom line the profit line help your investors okay yeah, I've
0: heard some talk about it's good for some companies to get rid of coal power because then uh, natural gas is maybe one of the only games in town where they can don't have that competition from coal. I don't know if
1: that's uh, Well, natural gas, yeah. the nice thing about natural yeah. gas is that it um, <clears throat> uh, it's so cheap to build a natural gas plant. It's okay. sort of the lowest cost capital investment you can make. It's uh, a lot less expensive than coal and it's much less expensive than nuclear. Yes. And yeah. uh, and I'm all for that. You know, it's amazingly efficient too, you know, with these combined cycle plants, okay. you're, you're getting well over 50% conversion of heat into electrical energy, okay. which is phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. in a coal plant, it used to be, you know, 35%, maybe it was a good plant. And uh, now okay. with uh, ultra supercritical, it's up into the 40s. May still go a little higher. Okay, all right. But um, but 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 the champions are are the combined cycle gas plants. They're they're oh. amazing. Okay, all right. Um, do you have thoughts on uh, nuclear
0: power? Whether uh, you're a fan of that? Well, or I think it's, it's a good yeah. way to make yeah.
1: electricity. You know, and yeah. uh, it's too bad that it's had such hard times in all over the world, at least the Western world. You know, it doesn't seem to be bothering the uh, the Chinese who are building nuclear plants as fast as they can. Okay, and right. um, I think it makes good sense for China. They've got a lot of people. They would yeah. like, you know, reliable, affordable power, and you can okay. get that from nuclear. But you certainly can't get it from windmills and solar panels. Right, right, right. They're happy to send. <laughs> they're happy to sell that stuff to uh, us. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing it <laughs> as long as the price uh, yeah, is right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, do you have thoughts on
0: battery technology? Whether we we ever will see uh, a huge, uh, like a quantum leap, or are, are we a kind of uh, running up into uh, some roadblocks where we can't get can't get
1: much more energy yeah, density? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Look, uh, people yeah. keep talking about Moore's law for battery. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. absurd because you know, battery technology is. Uh, the first batteries were already working pretty well by 1800. Okay. You know, uh, Michael Faraday used quite yeah. good batteries and, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, zinc, copper, they worked fine, okay. put out a lot of current. And uh, nowadays, uh, you know, we've gone over to lithium and... Uh, it, it it really is an amazing battery you know it's it's small and light and you can store a lot of energy but it's quite dangerous and it it yes, and yeah. it, there's not going to be a quantum change in lithium yeah. batteries you know they Okay. Uh so it, it's a technology and it it has a fundamental problem it it's it's wet chemistry and so every time you discharge a battery you have to Regrow crystals when you recharge it again, and then okay. you can't control the growth of crystals. And so, gradually, you start getting strange things happening that you you can't really control. You know dendritic okay. growth here and there. So all batteries essentially go bad. They they eventually go bad. Okay, all right. And you you okay. you just can't do anything about that. Okay. And so. There has to be an infrastructure to handle all these bad batteries and recycle yeah. the lithium and the cobalt and all the other yeah. valuable things in them. Okay. And yeah. um, you you could do that, but it you know we ought to do it if it's cost-effective, not because it's a yes. mandate from fanatics. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have
0: thoughts on maybe like hundreds of years down the road if we're out of fossil fuels and if people tried to drive a private vehicle across the country, how would they power their car? Uh, we have nuclear I plants, maybe producing.
1: They'll, they'll, power, they'll power it on, on synthetic diesel and or synthetic okay. gasoline because. Okay. All in right. a few hundred years, you've got to hope that we will have figured out how to do fission and fusion okay. efficiently, so we'll have a lot of electrical power. And if you have enough cheap electrical power, there's no problem making synthetic hydrocarbon fuels. You okay. Know. All you right. You make them out of limestone and water, and uh, okay, and. Uh, it, it'll be a long time before someone invents a uh, a better uh, motor than the gasoline or diesel engine they really are amazing <laughs> and, okay uh, okay but they do need fuel and so i i think in yeah. a few hundred years we'll still be using them but we'll be using synthetic uh hydrocarbons Okay. Very interesting. So
0: I thank you very much, Dr. Will Happer. I've super enjoyed this and uh, I hope to have you back on again sometime.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much, Tom. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Talk to you next time. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.